And welcome into the Hard Count, the people's show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. You know what happens here every single day. We are live in living color as we are right now on Tuesdays, 1 Central to Eastern, Thursday, 1 Central to Eastern. Do you know what time it is? I mean, generally, do, do you know what is about to happen? The most wonderful time of the year, the most impactful, the most high stakes, the biggest spotlight Playoff games, bowl games, it's a whole lot of fun we got coming at you. So grateful to have you along with us. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you at the party. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast feed on Spotify or on Apple, you can find the hard count there. A lot to get into today. We won't waste too much time. We're going to break down not one, but two playoff games, okay? Michigan TCU, Ohio State, Georgia set to get on and after it with a spot in the national championship on the line. Also going to break down the Orange Bowl with two teams that wear orange playing in the Orange Bowl. So all orange, everything. Clemson and Tennessee ready to get after it. A duel of backup quarterbacks of sorts with different situations for both those programs, but still a lot on the line in that one. A lot of, I believe, national bragging rights for those programs in different situations. Going to give you our winner in that one. Going to break down the Sugar Bowl, Alabama and Kansas State. Two programs that I believe, similar to the Orange Bowl, are uh, in peculiar situations. Alabama's not used to playing in the Sugar Bowl. To be honest with you, nobody came to Tuscaloosa to play for a Sugar Bowl. I wonder where their psyche's at. Kansas State, on the flip side of things, won the Big 12 Conference in a year where everyone was pretty much handed it to Texas or they were picking Baylor. I mean, even when it came down to picking that game, a lot of people said TCU's a sure win. Wildcats do what they do. Got a big win in that game. It would be a statement of epic proportions, historical proportions for that program to beat Alabama in a stage like that. So we'll give you our pick in that one. Then we got the granddaddy of them all, the Sugar Bowl, or excuse me, not the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, Utah and Penn State. It's not New Year's Day, but it's the next best thing. January 2nd in Pasadena. Got the sunset coming down on the second half of that game. One of the most beautiful, poetic situations in all of college football. One of the reasons we love this game so much is because the pageantry of games like that. So we'll give you our winner in that one. Then USC and Tulane. The spread on that game in the Cotton Bowl, USC's favored by two. Yes, USC with Caleb Williams having the Heisman Trophy now in his living room and Lincoln Riley ready to get that high-powered offense revved up. Only favored by two points against group of five team two lanes. We'll give you our pick in that one. It's a prediction special, a prediction extravaganza of sorts. We're about to get to all that here in just a second. I want to start this off though with a few short thoughts on Sam Hartman. He has, I think he, at this point, by the time you're watching this, he has officially entered the transfer portal as a graduate transfer from Wake Forest. And all of the smoke is going towards him, eventually ending up in South Bend, Indiana, and being the new quarterback for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. This would be... An enormous get for Marcus Freeman and company. Because Notre Dame, there was a lot of there's a lot of criticism that came Marcus Freeman's way in year one being the head man in South Bend. Some of it fair, some of it not so much. At the end of the day, the reality is at Notre Dame, they will always have talent. Whether they recruit with the likes of, you know, the SEC powers, I think remains to be seen as we get a little bit more data on Marcus Freeman. But to have the quarterback piece right in South Bend. I think that's a two to three win get for them, having Sam Hartman, a guy who's got a ton of experience. I think if he had been in the portal at the same time as Devin Leary, there's a very real conversation you have about, you know, 1A and 1B between the two of those guys. Like Sam Hartman, in my opinion, is a program changer for Notre Dame. And so for Marcus Freeman, you get a big piece like that. What happens now? expectations just continue to climb for next season. So again, it's not official. It's not confirmed that he is going to be at Notre Dame, but that is the leader in the clubhouse and would be the biggest get in the short time for Marcus Freeman being the head coach of the fighting Irish. Like I said, though, to open this whole thing up, it is a prediction special. We're going to have both the playoff games. We're going to have all of the other New Year's Six Bowl games broken down for you, give you our picks. Going to be a blast. Again, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you at the party. No time like the present. Roll, party, roll. We'll start this thing off with the first playoff game of the two. Michigan and TCU set to get after in the Fiesta Bowl with a, a chance to play for a national title. Now, Michigan was in this same spot last year. 
not exactly the same spot, but you catch my drift. They had beat Ohio State. They'd gotten over that hump. They had won the Big Ten championship and got that enormous monkey off of their back. And then they got to the semifinals and had Georgia teach them a lesson or two. And I promise you, a lot of the guys that were on that team, that are still on this team, they remember that. They remember the way that felt. And I've said it in different videos leading up to this prediction, but I think Michigan went from you know, being excited to be in this game last year and being excited to hopefully beat Ohio State and hopefully win the Big Ten Championship. Well, this year, they expected to do those things. They expected to get back to this point. So now for them, the same mantra they've been saying all year long that they really reemphasized after they beat Ohio State, the job is not finished. They're happy to beat Ohio State. They're happy to win the Big Ten. But this is what they came for. This is what they're after. Across from them, seven-and-a-half-point underdog TCU Horn Frogs. And guess what? Nobody has given them a chance all season long. I can, I can put myself in that group. Week in and week out until the Big, tip, Big, Big 12 title, I had picked against TCU. They had some of the worst odds to even win the Big 12. They have a quarterback who's kind of been up and down his whole career, didn't even win the job out of camp. Max Duggan, who actually ended up being in New York City as a Heisman Trophy finalist. First-year head coach of the program that isn't Sonny Dykes, did some good things at SMU, but gets to TCU. And, okay, well, how long is it going to take? They've got some pieces, but everybody knows first-year head coaches. It takes a while to get going, right? Sonny Dykes doesn't feel that way. Sonny Dykes is happy to just kind of hear all that criticism and hear all of the things that should happen, that are supposed to happen, and what have they done? Well, just punch their ticket to the college football playoff, that's all. So for them, they're happy to be doubted. They're happy to have everybody picking against them. But they feel pretty good about themselves in-house. Even with the way that Big 12 title game went, they still like their chances. So let's jump into it. You know how we do things on this program. We got hinge points for you. If you're new, welcome. We'd love to have you subscribe. Hinge points for us are how we break games down. Whichever way this variable hinges towards, whichever program that it falls towards, we think that favors them to end up winning this game. So here are the key hinge points that we're looking at in this game. The first one for me, how much pressure can TCU put as an offense on Michigan? And I think that we look at this especially in that first half of play. Because TCU scoring right around 40 points a game. And if they can kind of, let's say they score, I don't know, 21, 24 points in that first half. Meaning they're getting things rolling. Max Duggan's likely got two touchdown passes. Maybe he's run for one. The offense is humming. They found their tempo. Well, that allows them to force Michigan a little bit off schedule. Because Michigan, as good as they are offensively, we've seen them in that first half at least take a second to get revved up. It has not been uncommon by any stretch of the imagination to see Michigan go into half, down three points, down maybe even a touchdown, and then they turn it on in the second half. Well, for as good as TCU is offensively, if they are able to catch their stride in that first half and they go up, let's say, 10 points, let's say they go up 14 points, well, then Michigan kind of has to adapt the way that they want to play. Then they might have to throw the ball a little bit more than they have the last few games. They might have to come out swinging a little bit more vertically. And I think that would favor TCU. Anytime you can force your opponent out of their comfort zone and force them off of their script, if you will, favors you every single time. Now, if they can't, then that allows them, or allows them, it allows Michigan, rather, to stay within their their style of play, and just the, the main thing for TCU is then you have to carry that weight in the second half that Michigan's going to throw at you running the football. Like, that's just kind of the way that this thing goes. If you're not able to stretch the lead and you're not able to force Michigan to change their style of play, they're going to run the football and run the football and run the football, and then guess what happens there? At that point, your defense is worn down. They're tired. They've had power run at them th 13 times this game, they've had inside zone run another 10. Like, you start to get worn down. And that's been the thing that Michigan's been so good at all year long. I, I compare it to a weight on your back. You put it on in the first half and you feel okay. It's heavy. Don't get it wrong. I mean, it's heavy. It doesn't feel good. But you can kind of think you're, you're up and under it. You can withstand it for a little bit. In the second half, late into the third quarter, when that run game starts to wear on you, then that weight just causes you to crumble. Now, you can avoid that if you're scoring points and you cause Michigan to have to throw the ball more and they're not able to just run the ball consistently. But if you can't, that's what you got to deal with. And that is Michigan's MO all year long, one of the best second-half teams in the country. 
scoring right around 21 points a second half this season. It's dangerous. So for TCU, create a little bit of a lead and help yourself and maybe allow a cushion, rather, against what Michigan's going to do in that second half. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you, okay? We've got content for you all season long. Bowl games like this, playoff games like this, we got you covered. But guess what? Transfer portal going to continue to heat up. Recruiting's a year-round thing. We got you covered here. Make sure you're locked in. Also, follow me on the socials at JD Paquel on Twitter and on Instagram. Second hinge point I'm looking at for this game. How clean does Michigan play? When I say clean, I'm looking really at turnovers. Michigan is number four in the country in terms of time of possession. What does that tell us? Well, Michigan's content to just run their offense and pick up first down after first down after first down and just wear on you like we talked about a second ago. That only works if you're able to hang on to the football. If you're not throwing an interception in the third quarter, if you're not fumbling the ball away, you, you can't put your opponent to sleep if you keep letting them up for air. So for Michigan, especially with how explosive TCU's offense is, that's going to be crucial. Because I happen to feel that Michigan is dominant enough in the trenches to where they can just lean on their back in Donovan Edwards and some of the quarterback run game as well, maybe, and then hit some explosive plays over the top. I think that's the kind of style they can play. But if you're spotting TCU a possession, dare I say two possessions, in how you turn the football over, ooh boy, then things get dicey. Then you start to gamble a little bit more on what you think you can do defensively. And Michigan's one of the best defenses in the country, but I'm just saying, with Max Duggan at quarterback, with Quentin Johnson on the outside for TCU, that is a risky game to play. So if Michigan can, can play clean and allow their run game to be what they lean on during this game, Regardless of what Sunday Dykes thinks they want to do defensively, I promise you Michigan's going to be just fine to run the football, run the football, run the football. That's what I'm looking at in this game. Again, time of possession is crucial. Being clean is crucial for Michigan the rest of the way. So here's one of the other things I'm looking at. Can TCU match scores? In the game like this, if you allow Michigan to get up on you 10 points, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough to climb back in it. And I want to make sure I say this. TCU has been exceptional all year long in the second half. I think they have something like five or six second-half comebacks that they've ended up winning the game has TCU. So they're resilient. They're gritty. They're tough. But they haven't had to play a team as physical as Michigan. Because the deal is, like we just said, number four in terms of time of possession is Michigan. Meaning, if you give the football away to them, you may not see it back for a little bit. And so you better make sure when you give it back to Michigan, it better be on a kickoff because you just got seven or you just got three. You can't afford to, to, to trade empty possessions for Michigan getting something. Because the reality is they've got a really good kicker in Jake Moody, and they're going to at least get three. You can't come up empty-handed if you're TCU. This sounds simplistic, but I'm just telling you, by the way that Michigan plays the game, their tempo, their style, and just how often you're probably not going to see the football if you're TCU, you have to be able to answer scores. It can't be a game where Michigan gets seven and then you punt it away and you say, okay, we'll chase that seven a little bit later in the game. No, you better go get that right now. I want to see TCU come out aggressive. You're the underdog in this game. Sonny Dykes and company, you know it. Nobody's giving you a chance, right? Swing for the head, all right? Take your shot at the haymaker early and often and chase those points early. Don't expect to try and chase those points in the third and fourth quarter and hope that it's still there. Because for TCU, you would rather be in a position where your offense has a chance to win it at the end rather than, okay, we just need one more stop against Michigan. We just need to stop them on this third down. We get the ball back, then we have a shot. No, no, no. That's not how you beat Michigan. You beat Michigan by going on the aggression, by, by being the hammer and not the nail. It's a tall task. It's a big ask if you're TCU, but I think that's what you need to do to have a chance to beat Michigan. So here's my prediction in this game. TCU has a lot of weapons that make you nervous if you're a Michigan fan. Max Duggan up for the Heisman Trophy. Quentin Johnson will wreak havoc on the NFL. I promise you. He has a skill set to be dangerous well after he gets finished playing college football. Kendra Miller, I think quietly one of the best backs in the country. But I think Michigan has proven now 
they're starting to catch their stride, starting to catch their tempo. We've always known they could play bully ball. Offensive line, one of the best in the country, probably the best in the country. I know some other people at Georgia would push back on that, but I just think Michigan's got the best trench warfare in the nation. Now, based on what we saw against Ohio State for Michigan, they're no longer a one-trick pony. I think J.J. McCarthy has reached a new level in his game, and I think that wide receiving core for Michigan has some guys that are ready to explode in a very big way in this game. So the multiple nature and the multiple kinds of styles that Michigan can fight, I think makes this a tough deal for TCU. I think it's back and forth early, but at the end of the day, Michigan and the weight they're going to ask TCU to carry in that second half proves to be too much. I think Michigan wins this game, punches their ticket to the national title game. Final score, 37-22 in the Fiesta Bowl. Michigan is headed to the Natty. And that will be, I mean, think about that one. If Jim Harbaugh goes from being on what a lot of people would have considered the hot seat a few years ago to taking his team to beating Ohio State for the first time in a long time, winning the Big Ten championship, and then, oh, he might try to go to the NFL, and there's all the conversation around, well, that, that was a nice story, but Ohio State was down, and, and you know now we're going to start to see the, the cream rise back to the top. Good for Michigan for that one year, and then they do it again, and then they one-up themselves from the 2021 season. I'm just saying, I think the rest of the college football world have to be on notice in a very new way in what Michigan football is going to be for years to come. Jim Harbaugh has built a program there. Not a program, but a program that has some staying power and I think will be dangerous for years to come. All right, let's keep this party moving, all right? The Peach Bowl is the second playoff game we're going to be watching on New Year's Eve and Ohio State and Georgia in Atlanta set to get after it. Georgia's favored by six and a half in this game, so just shy of a touchdown. And for Georgia, you would think that a lot of the conversation would be around, okay, well, let's repeat, let's get back to back. I think this program is thinking about creating their own legacy because there's a lot of guys on this team, especially on the defensive side, that weren't starters last year, that are trying to one-up what happened last year. Remember, last year's team didn't win the SEC title. This year's team did, and they're very, very proud of that. They're trying to cement their own legacy. And there is no letdown. There's no drinking their own Kool-Aid. There's no feeling good about winning the SEC. It is reload. The main thing's the main thing. And for a Kirby Smart Coach program, would you expect anything less? Don't think so. For Ohio State, remember how their regular season ended? It wasn't winning the Big Ten Championship, and it wasn't beating Michigan, both of which are not the standard in Columbus. There was a lot of people after that game in Columbus where they lost to Michigan that was, I mean, unhappy feels like a soft term to use. I mean, we had people in our videos, in our, in our comment section, saying, fire Ryan Day. Guys lost single-digit games as the head coach at Ohio State, but all right. So for this game, they have new life. Because remember, they had some things happen where USC lost, some other teams lost, where Ohio State just sort of backdoored their way into the college football playoff. If you're George and Kirby Smart, you got to be saying, are you kidding me? We got to play Ohio State, who for most of the year was sitting there in that number two spot when these rankings came out. I'm just saying, for Ohio State to be in the playoff and have as many weapons as they do, and to have that second breath, to have new life coming into the playoff, that makes them dangerous. I'm just telling you. They thought their season was over. They thought they were going to be headed to Pasadena, which for a lot of people in the Bucca community, yeah, your season's over if you're playing for the Rose Bowl. A lot of guys opt out. Not so fast, my friend. C.J. Stroud says, run that back. Marvin Harrison Jr. tweeting, let's go. Ohio State is very dangerous because of what happened in that Michigan game. They faced their own mortality. They're ready for this one. Should be a whole lot of fun. Hinge points in this one. First thing I'm looking at, does Georgia set the pace of this game? Do they get to set, set the tempo? Do they start fast? Because if they do, I think you could see a game that's similar in style to the LSU-Georgia game in the SEC title. Because remember what we talked about in that game? After it ended at least, wow, LSU threw for 500 yards. LSU's offense, were they perfect? No, but they had a ton of production. The output was really solid. I don't care who it was against. LSU had a really good showing offensively. The reality is it, it didn't matter. 
it just didn't matter what LSU did offensively because Georgia got out quick, returned that blocked field goal for a touchdown, and that was kind of the the end of it. Like, you're not catching Georgia if you spot them 14 points, 10 points. For as good as they are offensively, Stetson Bennett and his experience and Brock Bowers and they get A.D. Mitchell back now, like, this is a Ferrari. You don't catch that Ferrari in a drag race, especially when you give them a few yards of a head start. So if they can't set the tempo, if they do start slow, that's when we've seen them look human. Because Georgia hasn't just been 40-point victories all the way up to this game. They've had some games where they've sort of sputtered. They've had to win ugly, which I think will help them in this game, actually. But when we've seen them look human, it's been those slow starts. Think of Missouri. Think of Kentucky. That could be the kryptonite for them. And if they're able to, Ohio State, that is, force Georgia into a slow start, well, then you give your offense a little bit more of a chance. Then for Georgia, you start to risk the explosiveness of what Marvin Harrison Jr. can do on the outside. More on that in a second. But the reality for Georgia, if you start fast, you could make this thing a little bit more boring for those of us watching at home, if you catch my drift. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you at the party. I cannot say enough. The playoffs about to get on and popping. Bowl season turning up the heat. The national championship game. Got an exciting announcement coming for you here in the near future. Keep you posted on that. Make sure you're subscribed. Like, bottom line, we don't want you to miss anything. We want you involved in this community as much as possible. So, roll party roll. Make sure you're subbed. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at J.D. Paquel. A lot of interaction we do there that we can then incorporate into our live program. All right? How much does Ohio State get in the passing game? LSU got 500. You're telling me LSU, who, no knock on them, haven't been extremely impressive all year long throwing the football. Their MO was really running the ball, remember? You're telling me Ohio State can't do better than that? You're telling me if, if LSU put forth that kind of effort, Ohio State doesn't at least have the potential to have a day throwing the football? Now, here's the other thing I would say. I promise you, Kirby Smart and company, since that game ended in Atlanta, that was all they were talking about. How LSU threw for 500 and they didn't execute, they didn't finish the game well. They still took care of business and got themselves an SEC title. But I'm just saying, that's out there. That's on tape. That's what you've been watching if you're C.J. Stroud. That's what you've been watching if you're Brian Hartline and Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming. We go down the list here. They have some weapons to make this thing really, really Interesting. In a game like this, we've said it multiple times, whenever you have, I say underdog very loosely because it's six and a half points, but you're an underdog nonetheless. Ohio State doesn't have all the matchups in this game. They don't have probably the line of scrimmage advantage on either side. You could argue they don't have the, the run game advantage. The one advantage they could have is on the outside. And when you're, when you're the underdog, you don't need all the matchups. You just need one that you can continue to go back to and go back to the well time and time again throughout this game. I think for them, for Ohio State, that is, that matchup lays on the outside, lies on the outside, lay on the outside. You feel what I'm saying here. If you can win this game, it'll be because of guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. Because I don't think you're going to beat Georgia at their own game. I don't think you're going to just win the trenches if you're Georgia, or if you're Ohio State, rather. For Georgia... If they're able to play a game similar to the Tennessee game where you win one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, whether it's Keeley Ringo or whoever it is out there, if you can win on an island, well, then you ask Ohio State to be that trenches team consistently. And that's advantage Georgia every single time. When you got to play in the box as an offense against Georgia, it favors Kirby Smart and his team. That's their MO. That's who they are. They're going to be physical with you in between the tackles. But if you can win outside, kind of a mute point, kind of a moot point, if you hear what I'm saying here. All right. So what is the story in the box? I think that's the last thing you got to look at. For Georgia, I keep going back to that Tennessee game because I think that's kind of the way Ohio State's built. They're not quite as schematically complicated in my mind in terms of those super wide splits and making you cover all 53.3 of the width of the field. But that's still who Ohio State wants to be. They still want to get it out to their playmakers and let their best players impact the game. If you take that away, just what I said a second ago, you ask Ohio State to play back in the box. And the comp for me for Ohio State is, when it comes to the defensive side of things, I'll, I keep thinking about that Michigan game. 
Sold out to stop the run, sold out to stop the run. And then what happened? We're solid in the first half. Kept them to something like 30-ish yards in the first half, give or take a few yards. But in the second half, the dam broke. In the second half, those big human beings from Michigan just asserted their will and pushed that defensive line out of the way for Ohio State. So for Ohio State, you got to have some stamina in the trenches when, when Georgia has the football. They're so multiple to where if you can at least force them off schedule, if you can at least force them to have to throw the football, I'm not saying you make Stetson Bennett beat you. Many have tried, many have failed, but you have to have something to hold up in the trenches. Because if you can't, again, it's going to be a boring game for all of us watching at home. So at the end of the day, I think Ohio State has the firepower to make this game really interesting. Marvin Harrison Jr., I still believe, has a very real debate to be the best wide receiver in the country. A lot of people agree with me. He could be the chess piece that takes over this whole game. With that being said, I think the experience of Georgia at places that matter, and Kirby Smart, their head coach, Stetson Bennett, their 37-year-old quarterback, a guy who's played in a lot of big games in his time at Georgia, and the physicality they have on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Tough teams win these kind of games. I'm not saying Ohio State's not tough. I think Ohio State is tougher than they were a season ago, but you drew the toughest team in college football two weeks in a row now, two games in a row in Michigan and Georgia. So I think Georgia ends up winning this game. They push Ohio State around and pull away late to win this football game, 34-24, to and the Dogs are headed back to the national championship game, and they will play... I won't say that for the, for the cut. Georgia is going to go to the national championship game. All right, roll party roll. Almost got us there. We cut these individual into videos, and I was going to say they're going to play Michigan, but if for whatever reason our prediction is wrong, it's happened before. I was going to say it's happened before. If our prediction is wrong, I want to make sure we have that airtight so we can cut it and uh, not get too much flack in the comments. But it's coming either way, so we'll deal with it. Folks, we're also on podcast. I don't say this too frequently, but if you're more of a podcast person, that's great. We, we appreciate you. One, watch it on YouTube so we can have this interaction, have the live chat back and forth. But also, if you want to listen to it back, we're on Spotify and we're on Apple. So check us out there. Listen to the hard count wherever you please. Had someone actually hit me in the DM the other day and said the hard count has become their new workout podcast. Nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Not just this week, like nicest thing ever. Okay, we're going to keep this party rolling. We got the Orange Bowl, folks. 8 Eastern, Friday, December 30th. So right before you get going for these playoff games, you got Tennessee and Clemson set to get after it. Clemson is favored by four and a half points. And it is a very interesting situation Do we find both these programs in. Both playing a backup quarterback. We'll start with Clemson. They have a whole new outlook, I believe, on the way their season went. A lot of Clemson fans believe if they had played Cade Klubnick the entirety of the year, they would be playing for a college football playoff spot right now. They'd be playing for a chance at the national title right now. Whether you believe that or not doesn't really matter. They have new excitement. They have new juice around that program. How much does that translate into this game? How much does that new outlook on your program, on your offense rather even, translate into this game? I think it's an interesting point, something we'll keep an eye on. Tennessee also playing their backup quarterback in Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker, tragically gets injured, dumped the season. We wish him well, wish him a speedy recovery. Tennessee's going to roll with Joe Milton, but they still feel like they have a chance to put an exclamation mark on what has been a really special season. Think about what we said about Tennessee coming into this season. Won seven games a year ago. That's great for Josh Heupel and company. They score a lot of points. They're a fun offense to watch, but are they really going to be a team nationally we have to talk about? They'll be great for highlights. Hen and Hooker's going to light up the stat sheet. But are they a program to be reckoned with? Are they a program? Can they go from program to program? Well, one thing led to another, and they won 10 games this season. And so Tennessee understands that you know they don't have everybody playing in this game. Jalen Hyatt's not playing. Cedric Tillman's not playing. Hen and Hooker's not playing because of injury, like we already said. They still feel like they have a lot to play for. So I'm excited to see what they do in this game. The first hinge point for us, can Tennessee... As a team, tee it up well for Joe Milton. You say tee it up, what does that mean? It means making his job easier. 
Can you run the football effectively like you have all year long? You've been right around five yards of carry all year. You'll have your work cut out for you against Clemson's front seven. A lot of dudes that are going to be playing on Sundays here in the near future. But that would make his job easier. That would cause the safeties to roll down a little bit more and have more guys running wide open downfield. It's a lot easier to throw with no safety than when you got to fit it in between a window. Also, can you win one-on-one on the outside? No Jalen Hyatt, no Cedric Tillman. Two big-time weapons, two explosive weapons that you're not going to have in this game. So Ramel Keaton, Brew McCoy, two guys that I think need to step up in a very big way in this game. So much of what Tennessee does offensively is being able to win those one-on-one matchups and running to green grass. Brew McCoy has a different skill set than Jalen Hyatt, but still with the way that Clemson's secondary has played this year, a little bit inconsistent. They've struggled a little bit more with those big body wide receivers. Brew McCoy is somewhere in the neighborhood of 6'3", 215. That's a big boy for those of you keeping track at home. I'm curious to see what he does in this game because I think a lot of the, the matchups on the outside will dictate how much success, explosively that is, that Tennessee's able to have offensively. So if you're not able to help him, guess what? You put a whole lot of pressure on Joe Milton's shoulders. Now, far be it from me to say Joe Milton can't do something. Quite honestly, we don't have a ton of data on him as a starting quarterback at Tennessee. But you would like to help him out, I think goes without saying. Because Clemson's defense, as inconsistent as they've been, they've got a whole lot of talent, a whole lot of personnel on that side of the ball that can make your afternoon very, very difficult. All right? If you haven't yet subscribed, love to have you at the party. It's bowl season. No better time than the present to subscribe to this channel. We've had well over, I want to say, combined between both Tennessee and Clemson, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 subscribers from both of y'all. So we appreciate you in advance for joining the party. If you haven't yet, like I said, never too late. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram to make sure you're locked in with everything we got going here on the Hard Count and on the On3 YouTube channel. 12-month of year sport, all right? 12-month out of the year sport. We cover it accordingly. Is Cade Klubnik able to be who Clemson believes he is? Because he put on a clinic against North Carolina. I mean, all of the excitement around him coming into this year, he pretty much made good on that in that game. Now, the thing you heard from the naysayers was, well, it was North Carolina, right? It was the Tar Heel defense, and no, no knock on the good people in Chapel Hill, but they just don't play really good defense down there. It's just kind of the fact of the matter. Okay, so now against the Tennessee defense, secondary is not amazing, but that front seven is nasty. Okay, that's going to be a real SEC defense for you. Is it the best of the best? No, but it's going to give you a really good litmus test to see how far along you are if you're Cade Klubnik. Can he activate the pressure points within Tennessee's defense to allow Clemson's offense to be successful? Kind of the name of the game, right? When I say pressure points, I just mean can he be successful through the air early to allow Will Shipley to eat. Because if he's able to have that success and they can start to lean on the run game more, that's going to be a really, really good life to live if you're Will Shipley. That's going to be a really fun afternoon if you're wearing Clemson's orange. Because the secondary for Tennessee, it's no secret. They haven't been the best part of the unit. They haven't been the best part of the team. Actually, they're allowing 284 yards a game, which is probably an an inflated number just a little bit, but that's still 127th in the country, folks. There's only 131 teams. Can Kate Klubnik cash in on that? Can he take advantage of that? Because I promise you, they're going to do everything in their power on Tennessee's side of things to make his picture confusing. They're going to rock and roll those safeties. They're going to show cover three when they really got cover four. They're going to show a bunch of different looks to him and try and make the young freshman confused. If they can be successful and they cause a recalibration period for Clemson, well, then it's going to be a long afternoon for Clemson. But again, early success causes you to have to commit more resources to the back end to have to help that secondary out to where Will Shipley will get to eat and will get to eat greedy. So who finds rhythm first between these backup quarterbacks? Whoever finds rhythm first will allow their team, in my opinion, to take the lead first. When you take the lead first, you're able to control the tempo, which is the, I mean, a, a huge deal when it comes to just the game of football as a whole. I don't think I'm saying anything novel here. When you're in the front of a race, 
the leader gets to control how fast you want to go. Because if, if I'm right behind that leader, if I'm trying to catch whoever's in first place, well, guess what? I have to make a move to pass them or I have to wait till the end of the race to be able to, to make a move to win it, okay? And that's what I think this comes down to. Whoever can get in rhythm first will have the luxury of running the football more, be able to lean on the defense more. Like, you hear what I'm saying here? When you fall behind in this scenario, whichever quarterback it is, you ask them to do more. You ask Joe Milton to throw the football more. You ask Kate Clubner to throw the football more. You put more pressure on them because you can't just run the football when you're down 10 points. You got to start scoring. You got to start moving the football a little more effectively. And how do you move the football quickly? Nine times out of 10 is throwing the rock. Okay, so who's able to get in a rhythm more or rhythm first rather will be very much so predicated on the way they call this offense. But keep an eye on that, because I think that's going to tell the story of how this gameplay works out. So here's my prediction for this game. I think Cade Klubnik is wildly talented. Like I think he's going to be a guy we talk about competing for the Heisman Trophy here in the very near future. He's going to have a tremendous career at Clemson. Now, with that being said, I think this Tennessee team is looking to finish this year with a chip on their shoulder. They've heard all the things that are said about them after the South Carolina loss and how they choked and how, you know, it's great, but Hennon Hooker's not there anymore. Great story, great year, Tennessee, but, you know, you're going to kind of regress back to the mean in this game and the big boys are going to take over. I'm just telling you, I trust Josh Heupel, and I think the run game for Tennessee is going to actually have a really strong showing with how they spread them out in this game. Schematically, I just like what they're going to be able to do on the ground. So for that reason, I'm taking Tennessee in an absolute dogfight. Final score, Vols win this one 41-38 in the Orange Bowl. I think that's an instant classic. That'll be a whole lot of fun to watch, though. Make sure you're locked in for that one. Again, that's Friday, December 30th. Going into the semifinal games. I think they're going to be really, really high entertainment value on that game. Backup quarterback duel. I'm juiced for it. Should be a lot of fun. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you're locked in. Okay, we got a lot of y'all right now watching. Also, if you haven't yet hit the live chat, there's a lot of things that we do on this program. The best of them is bringing y'all in at the end of the show. Jack Terry's keeping the cue today, so make sure you get those questions in right now. We'll be as effective, as efficient as possible. And uh, you help us do that by getting your questions earlier. So thank you for that in advance. All right, moving right along. The Sugar Bowl. Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 12 Eastern. You got Alabama, you got Kansas State. Alabama's favored by six and a half points. For Alabama, in my mind, this is a chance for them to remind the rest of the college football world what Alabama football is. Everyone's talking about Georgia and Tennessee, and rightly so. Those programs have had phenomenal seasons. But for Alabama, I think the fact that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are both playing in this game sends a message that, no, we, we want to make sure we remind y'all who we are as a program. I very much believe that's going to be their approach in this football game. Now, for Kansas State, kind of the same side of the other coin. Nobody's giving them a chance. And you want to make a statement to the entire college football landscape that you're for real, that you're not just a flash in the pan, that you didn't just beat TCU in a fluky manner. Go beat Alabama. Go beat the standard in college football the last however many years. So this one will be a big deal. This one will be uh, very much so, I think potentially at least, emotionally charged. So fired up for this one. Our hinge points in this game. What impact does Kansas State allow Bryce Young to have? Sounds funny to say, but let me articulate that a little bit more to you. Kansas State, I believe, will play offense. I'll rephrase that. Kansas State will play defense with their offense because they make no negotiations about who they are as a program. They're going to run the football at you, and they're going to do it pretty consistently. Okay, 58% of the time, they are running the football. Deuce Vaughn, quietly one of the best backs in the country, 200 yards a game on the ground is Kansas State averaging. They want to limit the possessions for Alabama as much as possible. One thing to look at in this game, I think Deuce Vaughn, as a receiver on third down, whether it's a check down, whether it's him getting matched up on a linebacker and getting to catch a quick out in space, I think Deuce Vaughn as a receiver could be paramount to extending drives. 
because the offense as a whole wants to just, like I said, limit possessions for Bryce Young, limit possessions for Alabama's offense, because similar to what we've talked about with other bowl games, Alabama, I think, owns the majority of the personnel matchups in this game. If you can keep Bryce Young off the field, that's an advantage Kansas State. Okay, so playing defense with your offense is one thing I think Kansas State will look to do in this football game. If you haven't yet subscribed, would love to have you at the party. Okay, no time like the present, so make sure you're locked in. It's bowl season. Playoff mode is activated. Can't afford to miss any shows now, okay? Make sure you're subscribed. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JDPakel. It's where the party rolls at. This is the question I think a lot of people have. Where's Alabama's head at right now? We see it every single year. There's always one or two programs that show up in a bowl game and they just don't look interested in being there. It's just not important to them. They're just already checked out. They're looking forward to the NFL draft. And yeah, they're, they're on the field. They're playing the game, but nobody really showed up. And Alabama has to be on this kind of watch. Everybody's asking it because quite frankly, nobody on this roster Nick Saban included, actually, came to Tuscaloosa to play for Sugar Bowls. It's no disrespect to the Sugar Bowl, but Alabama's used to playing in college football playoff games, look, I mean, used to playing for national titles, and that's not what's at stake here. It's a great bowl game, one of my favorite bowl games to watch year in and year out, but it's not the standard to Alabama. So do they have Alabama's attention? Because if they don't, Kansas State is talented enough and I think plays a style of football to where you could catch Alabama napping. However, if Alabama does bring their A game, if they do play the way they're capable of playing, Bryce Young, a lot of people, myself included, still believe he's one of the best, if not the best player in the country. Will Anderson is an absolute psycho, deserved every postseason accolade that he got, can make it a very difficult afternoon for Will Howard and company at Kansas State. So if they bring their A game, they're more than capable of quite frankly, blowing Kansas State out. But if they want to play with their food, if they want to be lackluster and not execute well, it's going to be a long afternoon for Alabama fans. And I'll just say this. You'll be able to tell really quickly if Alabama's engaged or not. Within the first quarter, you'll be able to see, okay, is Alabama really wanting to be in this game? Look for false start penalties. Look for execution errors drop passes, stuff like that. That'll tip you off really quickly of what kind of version of Alabama you're going to get. And I think a lot of this game hinges on Alabama's psyche. So keep an eye on that. Last thing I want to talk about, can Alabama force Kansas State to reach? We talked about it earlier. Kansas State's a running football team, man. 58% of the time, they want to pound the rock. Deuce Vaughn, one of the best backs in the country, they want to feed him early and often. Heck, Will Howard, he'll even run the rock a little bit at quarterback. They want to run the football. Well, here's the deal. You can't run the football on third and 11 and expect to convert consistently. In fact, most people would tell you to throw the football on third and 11. Now, how do you get to third and 11 if Alabama can create negative plays? It sounds simplistic, but Alabama's 9% sack rate on the year, which is really good. Number 11 in the country, okay? Will Anderson is going to go high in the NFL draft for a reason. Can he make a statement and prove it in this kind of game? Because if you allow Kansas State to just run at their five yards of carry like they do, kind of just be ho-hum about it and, and end up in third and four, third and three, if they can live in that scenario, it's advantage Kansas State. But if Alabama can force them to reach, that's not how this program's built. That's not how this Kansas State offense is built. They're not designed to line it up and run four verts on you. It's just not the personnel they have. It's just not the offense they want to call. So for Alabama, forcing those longer down and distances and forcing Kansas State to reach, I think could be the difference in this football game. So keep an eye on that as well. Here's what it comes down to. I think this will be a back and forth physical battle. And I think regardless of the final score, this game will finish, move on throughout the rest of our day, you know, the rest of the, the bowl game slate. And this game will legitimize who Kansas State is. We'll say, okay, you know what? They are the Big 12 champions. They are one of the best teams in the country. They deserve everything they've gotten. However, I just feel like Will Anderson and Bryce Young playing this bowl game tells me Alabama is going to care. They're going to have the attention. 
They're going to have their focus on Kansas State. And having both your leaders play in this bowl game sends that message loud and clear. No letdown from Alabama. I do think it's a battle, but I do think Alabama ends up winning this football game. Final score, Alabama win 31-28. to So high entertainment value game on that one as well. I'm excited to watch that one, though. I'm excited to watch all these, but those matchups we don't really get to see consistently in different styles of play with the small market, Kansas State, and the big bad dog of Alabama. It'll be a whole lot of fun, all right? Make sure we're locked in for that one. If you haven't yet gotten your question to the keeper of the queue, Jack Terry, now's the time, all right? We've got two more games to break down for you. We'll get to the live chat. It's your party. It's your show. We're behind the mic over here holding it down, but make sure you're locked in because... Uh, this is a community, and getting involved in that chat helps us interact with you more and more and helps us you know, bridge the gap between here to there and it being your show. All right? Enough of that. The granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, set to go in Pasadena, 5 Eastern time. It's not New Year's Day. It's January 2nd on a Monday, but Penn State's still set to play Utah. Utah's favored by two and a half points. For Penn State, I think this is about just kind of disposing of that whole narrative around the Ohio State and Michigan little brother thing, right? Ohio State and Michigan are both playing in the college football playoff, but Penn State's so sick of being considered that number three team in the Big Ten. Now, can't do anything to wash away those losses to Ohio State and Michigan. Those are set in stone, unfortunately, as of now. But if you can make a statement against Utah, if you can just assert your dominance against that kind of a program who has won the Pac-12 now two years in a row, I think that would do a lot for credibility for James Franklin and his program in Penn State. Probably do a lot for the Big Ten as well. Now for Utah, they were in this football game last year. Played Ohio State. A lot of people tell you Utah maybe should have won this game if it weren't for Jack Smith and Jigba having just an all-Madden kind of day. Utah feels like they had this game put away. And put away is the wrong word. They thought they should have won this game, all right? So for them, this is about unfinished business. This is about taking care of what they didn't get done last season. Utah's excited to play in this game. There's, there's no, you know, bull hangover for either of these programs here where, oh, they wish they were playing somewhere else. No, they're, they're fired up to be in this game. And I think the interesting thing to look at, they both have a similar blue-collar, smash-mouth style of football play. They both run the football over 50% of the time, they're a run-first program, and they both feed their backs. How often do you see a boxer take a haymaker on the jaw, fall down, get up, win, and win the, win the boxing match? Not that often, right? So my hinge point in this game, the first one that is, who falters first? Who, who takes that punch first? Maybe you want to look at the other side of things. Who's able to land that haymaker first? Who, who lands the, the 10 to 12 play drive where you just lean on the opposition and, and cause that other side of the, the line to, to fold? Because that is a lot for momentum, right? I mean, in terms of attitude saying, okay, we can, we can play with these guys, right? We can, we can kind of do what we want to do offensively against them. That's one piece. The other piece is just a psyche standpoint um, of, of, of wearing them down of wearing the opposition down because when you see both these programs, when you look at their success, I mean, I'll start with Utah. Think about that game against USC in the Pac-12 title game. It was back and forth a little bit. USC actually got the lead in the early going, but then Utah just bullied them in the second half, wore them down physically. That's going to be something that both these programs want to do is be able to win the second half, but it starts with landing that first haymaker. That's going to be huge for momentum. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you. No time like the present. It's the Rose Bowl. No time for for half-stepping. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're subscribed. we got a lot of content coming for you. College football is a a 12-month-a-year sport. We don't take a break. All right? Also, follow me on the socials at Judy Pakel on Twitter and on Instagram. Who can be more opportunistic? It's fun to say who can create more turnovers? They're both averaging two takeaways a game is Utah and Penn State. But the reason why I think this is so important is it's important in every game, but it's so important in this game because both of these programs rely on the run consistently. And when you rely on the run, I like to say it's like a ping pong style of play. You're just going to keep hitting the ball over and hitting the ball over and hitting the ball over until the other team makes a mistake. Well, with both these programs being you know, pretty mistake-free for the most part, that first one is really going to be impactful. 
because they, they operate on that ping pong style of play. So if you spot them a lead, if you spot them an extra possession, it's difficult to come back from. I'm not saying that's going to decide the game, but I'm just saying that's going to be a key variable in how this game plays out. Think of it this way, going back to that fighting metaphor. It's, I mean, but both these programs like to submit their opponent. They like to just put them in the sleeper hold and put them to sleep. It's hard to put somebody to sleep when you keep letting them up for air, or if you let them get a little bit of air, and the little bit of air would be that turnover. So which of these programs has that turnover? Which of these programs, dare I say, has two turnovers? That's going to be a really big factor in this football game. So even with that being said, I think both these teams are built relatively the same. Not to say they're the exact same team, obviously, but both want to Dominate the line of scrimmage. They both want to run instead of the pass. So when you have all those variables more or less kind of cancel out, I'm looking at the quarterbacks. And in a game like this, with the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl on the line, I think this is the kind of game where you expect your quarterback to step up. So is it Sean Clifford or is it Cam Rising? I'll take it a step further. On third and 10, who can make a play? Who can make a play to win the football game for you? I think those are the two guys that you got to look to. In a stage like this, you're not looking to your tight end or your running back or your, your linebacker to make a play. Of course, it's a team effort, but I think in this kind of game, you ask your quarterback to step up in a big way, and these are the two guys to do it. Both guys that have played a whole lot of football. Sean Clifford, right up there with Stetson Bennett as one of the oldest guys playing football right now. But I'm excited to see which one answers the call to action. I think they both also could use their feet a little bit in this game. So keep an eye on that in terms of making plays. But that could also be a big difference maker. So when all the dust settles, our prediction in this game, I talked about the quarterback position being the difference maker. Tell you what, Cam Rising, time and time again, I've just seen him step up when the lights are the brightest. Both times against USC, the first time against USC, getting in the end zone for a two-point conversion way he led his team in the second half in the Pac-12 title game. I've just seen him answer the call to action time and time again. And I think the chip on Utah's shoulder, remembering what happened last year, propels them in this game. I think Utah ends up winning this football game in dramatic fashion. I think the final score is 30-28 to as Utah gets it done in Pasadena. That'll be, I mean, that's one of the coolest just snapshots in all of college football. If you were to take one of your family members or one of your friends who doesn't really watch college football, doesn't really get it quite as much, make sure that you clear out their schedule, whatever they got going, sit down with them and have them watch the Rose Bowl. Doesn't, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer. It doesn't matter who's playing in that game. You have two great programs this year. You have great programs every year. It doesn't matter what brands are in that game. Just seeing the sunset over the Rose Bowl, on New Year, I mean, that's not New Year's Day this year, but typically on New Year's Day, that's enough to convert any non-hardcore football fan into a believer of our sport, all right? If you have not yet jumped in the live chat, now is the time. We got one more game to break down. We're going to y'all, kicking open the door, breaking the red tape, all that in a bag of chips, your show, the people's show. Everything you know and love about college football, so make sure you get those questions in right now in the live chat. We'll get to those momentarily. All right. The on-the-docket graphic said it best. It's the Cotton Bowl. Nothing soft about this game. You got USC and Tulane. USC favored by two points. This game is on January 2nd, 1 Eastern. USC was a game away from being in the college football playoff. I know some time has passed since the Pac-12 title game, but that, that hurt. Another really great way to say it. I think for USC, with their back against the wall in a game like this, this is a chance for them to dispel the whole L.A. narrative around their program. And you know what I mean when I say L.A. narrative. The narrative that everybody that's there is there for NIL money and everybody that's there is there for the sunshine and the, the Los Angeles atmosphere and the glitz and the glamour and looking cool. Like In a game like this where you're not playing for a college football playoff spot, obviously, and you just kind of got some humble pie served to you from Utah in the Pac-12 title game, this would be a chance to respond and I think really expose the culture of what's going on at USC. I think it'll be very, very telling. For Tulane, whole lot of juice. Coming from the group of five, Willie Fritz, 
turned down reportedly the Georgia Tech job. Michael Pratt said, run that back, Turbo, coming back for another year. There is a lot of excitement, momentum building behind this program. So you have USC, who I don't want to say they're trending down by any means, but they're sort of plateaued in some sense. We're going to find out about them. And you have Tulane, which is just, I mean, just jetpacking in terms of momentum. So this will be a whole lot of fun to watch this one go down. Hinge points in this one. Can Tulane play keep away with the offense? Kind of similar to what we said about how I think Kansas State wants to play Alabama. Tulane wants to run the rock. They're a 57% time run the football kind of team. And guess what? They got televisions all over Tulane's campus. I promise you. They know that Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy. They also know that even without Jordan Addison, USC scoring over 40 points a game. And for all the firepower that Caleb Williams and USC present in this game, I promise you, they want to limit possessions for the Heisman Trophy winner. They want to pound the rock, and they want to say, Caleb Williams, we appreciate you showing up. We appreciate you for what you have done this season in terms of a resume, but you're going to have to watch this one, my guy. Grab a towel, grab some Gatorade, just hang out. We're going to go on a 14-play drive right now. Like That's the kind of scenario that Tulane would like to be in. Now, for USC, what I'm looking at is, can the trenches take a step up? We all remember it. We all saw it. It was unfortunate. It wasn't appropriate by any stretch of the imagination. If you let your children watch, shame on you. But Utah just took USC to the woodshed, especially in the second half. We've seen USC have good performances in the front seven, but the game against Utah was not one of them. And so I'm not so much curious about that first half. I'm worried about their stamina. I'm worried about... When Tulane has run power at you 15 times in that first half, in the third quarter, are you really going to want to fill on the run? Are you really going to want to get downhill and put your face mask in there one more time? Because that in itself, I think, exposes culture. We talked about it at the beginning of this segment, USC finding out about what's under the hood. You find out what's under the hood in the trenches in the second half where you're not playing for a college football playoff spot. And so I think the dichotomy is very interesting between Tulane wanting to pound the rock and USC having to answer the call to action and trying to spell the narrative that they are a tough football team and that they can play in the trenches. So that'll be a very, very big deal. And I think that's really going to expose the psyche of USC, quite honestly. We'll see how far along they are as a culture under Lincoln Riley on the defensive side of things with Alex Grinch calling the defense. If you haven't yet subscribed, no time like the present. Lock in with us. Now is the time. Bowl games are here. Playoff games are here. No time to be wasted. We cover this thing 12 months a year. The beauty of college football, we got you. All right, make sure you're locked in. Also, follow me on the socials at JD Pacquel on Twitter and on Instagram. We're not going to steer you astray. So, when you look at these two programs, look at their operations, USC has so much firepower. I understand Jordan Addison's not playing in this game. You still got the Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams. And if he can be healthy with how he is running the football, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make things difficult for Tulane. So the thing I'm looking at, can USC's firepower kick in in the first half? Because Tulane, if you're comparing these two programs as vehicles, Tulane to me is much more like a Hummer. Like it's great. It'll get you from A to B, but their specialty is going off-road and running the football, and playing tough, and being blue-collar, and going uphill, and just sort of eating up the gravel. Now, USC is like a Ferrari. And you and I both know, if you spot that Ferrari 50 yards, or however far, you give it any kind of a head start, it's going to be tough to catch. So if USC can go into half with a 10-point lead, it's going to be tricky. I mean, Utah's the only team that's been able to dispel that kind of narrative, but I'm just telling you, with how these teams are built, with the talent gap that I perceive between USC and Tulane, any kind of lead at half for USC will be an enormous advantage for the Trojans. Caleb Williams, I think, has something to prove. I think they have a very bad taste in their mouth from how their season ended. I was actually impressed by the emotional response they had when they lost that game. It wasn't just a disappointment. It was a, you saw tears from multiple players on that team. That tells me there's, there's a buy-in there. There is a competitive standard they're holding themselves to in Los Angeles. So with that being said, Tulane scoring 33 points a game, USC scoring 41 a game. I just have a tough time believing 
that Tulane is going to be able to keep pace with USC. So we're going to pick USC to win this game. I think USC actually wins this game a little bit more handily than this spread indicates. USC is favored by two. I think the final score is USC wins 38 to 24. So the Trojans get a New Year's Six Bowl victory in their first year under Lincoln Riley. Caleb Williams gets some more hardware to go with the Heisman. And the party rolls on for the good folks in Los Angeles as USC wins the Cotton Bowl. All right. The best thing we do now on this entire program, you know it and I know it, get in the live chat. Joining the party. You join the party right now. Go to the party section. And Jack Terry is actually keeping the queue today. Nick Brake is on the IR. Coming back soon. But, Jack, what's the good word right now in the live chat, my man? How are we doing? How you doing, JD? Uh, we got no questions in the queue right now, so okay. ask your questions, but I've got something for you. Uh, I love it. Right now, I thought maybe you'd think it would be interesting. So for every segment you did, I ran a poll in the, in the chat who they would think would win. So the first game, fans thought Michigan, 74%, TCU, 26%, Georgia, 82%, Ohio State, 18%. Wow, okay. Tennessee, 56%. Clemson, 44 We've got a lot of Tennessee fans, so my, might have been a little biased there. Uh, Alabama, 80 Kansas State, 20 um, Utah, 60%. Penn State, 40%. And then USC, 73%. And Tulane, 27%. Interesting. That, that 56%, 44%, Tennessee and Clemson, we do have a pretty strong – Tennessee following but even so I was surprised that it was that much towards Tennessee I mean I would have thought there would have been even more so uh, uh, voters going towards Tennessee there because I mean like you said I mean Clemson fan base is, is great for us but I don't think they were quite quite that strong to have four I mean that's that's pretty close to 50 I mean, it's not super close to 50 50 but it's close enough to where I'm like huh a little more split than I would have thought uh, you got a pick for us in that one Jack Tennessee and Clemson you, you got a side you like there I got to roll with the Vols. Roll with the Vols, too okay. Many family, too many family ties. I like it. I like it. Got to keep the family close. Got to uh, show love to Grant Furkin. There, um, there you go. I love it. Agent Zero. We got one coming in asking about LSU versus Purdue. Uh, one thing that I'm curious about with LSU versus Purdue, Purdue kind of a program going through some changes. They just got Hudson Card in the portal. Obviously, he's not playing in that game, but it, maybe we'll, we'll pick it later in the week. Maybe we'll, we'll put, put out a, a – prediction video for that one I actually think LSU is going to win that football game Jaden Daniels I think is probably more healthy by now Keishon Butte said I'm coming back so I like LSU to win that game over Purdue but if they can't win that game that'll change I think a little bit of the narrative or maybe not change the narrative I think it'll cool off some of the juice that was around LSU heading into the SEC title game and heading into you know all the good things that they had done this past season kind of kind of disappointing way to end the year so that'll be a good one but we like LSU to win that game uh, we got anything else in this chat? Yeah, we got Jack? another one similar. Actually, came before that question. Uh, the SEC wants to know, who do you have between Texas and Washington? Ooh, Texas is a team that feels like they've been so close all year. Like they've had just multiple games where whether Quinn Ewers has a bad day and the defense plays well or Quinn Ewers has a great day and the defense doesn't bring it. And no B. John Robinson or Roshan Johnson in that game. I still like Texas just based on I think that they're not going to take too far a step back in the bowl game. They still have some guys that are really good in that running back room, Keelan Robinson being one of them. So I like Texas to win that game, but that should be a, a good litmus test for us in uh, the first bowl game of the Steve Sarkeesian era. Had somebody else jump in the chat, Jack, and ask uh, if I was aware that Ohio State, I think is 8-2, and two, it says, is an underdog since 2012. Don't know if that stat is real, but the last time Ohio State was a four-seed, Jack, they ended up winning the whole deal. And, and the Cardell Jones signature national championship kind of game and Ezekiel Elliott here on a half shirt went for a crazy day. So crazy things have happened, but their work will definitely be cut out for them with Georgia. We got one more, Jack, before we get off air. We got anything on here? Let's see. Uh, yeah, this is actually here. a good one to go off of. Uh, someone wants to know what's an X factor for Ohio State to beat Georgia. Love it. Good deal. Jack, appreciate you keeping the cue, man, and making it all happen today. Extraordinaire with on three. Swiss Army knife, Jack Terry. Appreciate you, brother. X factor for Ohio State and Georgia. That's a good question. I think the first place I'm looking is Keely Ringo. 
because he will have his work cut out for him against Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming and just the cast of characters they have in the Ohio State offensive weapon room. I mean, wide receiver room is maybe a better term to use. Keely Ringo, a guy that's gotten a lot of criticism from the Georgia fan base. But the thing people don't realize from Keely Ringo, they ask so much of him defensively at Georgia. They ask him to play in man coverage consistently. And here's the deal. When you play man, you're not going to win all of them. And the, the Georgia defensive staff knows that. They know when Keely Ringo goes out there, there is a very real chance that he doesn't come up with 100% of those plays. But in this kind of game, I think he will have to have a similar kind of game he had to the Tennessee game, if you're catching my drift. Like, there was a very, very memorable play where it's a 50-50 football between him and Cedric Tillman, and Keely Ringo comes down with it, and that sort of felt like the turning point in the football game. And so can he have that same kind of impact on the outside and just do enough against Marvin Harrison Jr.? You don't have to have the game of your life. You don't have to have two interceptions and just shut it down completely. But can you make it enough of a point to where you think twice, at least, if you're C.J. Stroud looking that way? You think twice about trying him on that 50-50 ball. Because if you can, it goes back to our prediction, and we feel really good about Georgia if it becomes a game in the box. And that's kind of what Georgia does. They make you play by their rules. One way they do that winning their matchups on the outside. So Keely Ringo, for me, is a huge X factor in the game against Ohio State. Well, folks, that's it for us here on the hard count. We, we, we got a lot coming down the pipe for you. We got a lot to talk about. Obviously, we're in playoff mode. Like I said, that is activated. We got our predictions out for you now. We got our New Year's Six Bowl previews out now from this show. If you missed it, it's okay. Go back and check us out on the hard count on the podcast on Apple and on Spotify. And uh, this is an absolute blast. The most wonderful time of the year. You got the transfer portal kicking up. National Signing Day, round two, about to hit here in February. Not the time to miss any shows. Not the time to not be subscribed, okay? The party is on. The party is popping. And it is not stopping anytime soon. So make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're locked in. Thank you for allowing us to do this as a job. Thank you for allowing us to have this show and for create, uh, providing a, a point to where this was something that the college football media landscape would accept and something that, you know, we're able to, to fill the need for. So we thank you for that. We appreciate you rocking with us all season long, not stopping anytime soon. Like I said, a very exciting announcement coming up here in the very near future. And uh, be on the lookout for that on this program. We'll announce it live first, then we'll hit the socials with it as well. So make sure you're, you're following me there on JD Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram, but enough of that. We're going to keep the party rolling and we will see y'all 